Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. In spite of all our communication technology, no invention is as effective as the sound of the human voice. When we hear the human voice, we instinctively want to listen in the hopes of understanding it. Even when the speaker is searching for the right words to say, that's because the human voice resonates differently from everything else in the world. This is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Listen in on candid conversations with creative entrepreneurs and insanely interesting people. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Vinny Tortorich, America's angriest trainer whose radically honest approach to fitness has resulted in clients that include Hollywood celebrities, captains of industry, 
Ironman triathletes, and many others. Well, Vinny, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I came across your story because uh, of, you know, somebody who works with you. And he said, you know, this is a guy you should talk to. You've got the label, the world's angri- angriest trainer, which I thought was just, I was so intrigued by that and so curious. I thought, okay, you know what? I have to talk to this guy. It uh, sounds like a fascinating story. So uh, tell, us, tell us a bit about your background and, you know, your story and, and how, that, how that has led to you becoming the world's angri- angriest trainer. Well, I'm glad you called me the world's angriest trainer because it's America's angriest trainer. Now, you see, your audience will <laughs> never forget that now that you did that and I had to say that back to you in a different way. <laughs> That's usually the way things work, right? When you can't remember someone's name and you have to embarrassingly ask them again, and then you never forget that person's name for the rest of your life. Well, hey, I mean, world's angriest or America's angriest, I think both of those are pretty good, uh, solid, unmistakable labels, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but I just want people to be able to find me on IG. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> My mistake. So don't, well, please do not listen to the world's angriest trainer. Listen to America's <laughs> angriest trainer, and uh, you'll be just fine. Okay, good night, everyone. I got <laughs> So what was your question anyway? What, what were so, you asking? I mean, how did you become America's angriest trainer? I mean, what's your story that leads up to uh, this label? Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I've been doing this business. I've been in the fitness business for 31 or 32 years now. And literally when I started, uh, you know, I, there were no trainers in, in America. There was like me and Jake and, uh, you know, maybe one or two other guys that were doing this. So you're actually talking to one of the first guys. Wow. And along the way, you know, everybody seemed to have an agenda. Everybody wanted to be something else. Jake didn't want to be a trainer. He wanted to just hawk a ton of products and get rich. And that's what he did. And that's, you know, a lot of these, you know, you would turn on the television, you would see this product and that product. And you would see another, you know, blonde, bleach blonde with fake boobs telling you to do this aerobic tape or that aerobic video or use this product or that product or what have you. And I think I was the only guy that was in the game because I really like working with people and changing their lives. And, you know, every time, you know, I'm in Hollywood. So people would look at me and go, well, he's, he's pretty good looking and he's got a great body on him. And he can walk and talk and chew gum. And all these infomercial companies would call me in to do these, you know, to to hook me to products. And I would look at the products and go, yeah, it won't work. I won't do it. And they would, I became the difficult guy Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't lie to people on television. That made me difficult. You know, the fact that they were going to sell you something that didn't work, they were okay with that. And they would always say to me, Hey, baby, come on, baby, you, you'll make a million bucks. You'll make 500000 overnight. You'll make this, you'll make that. You know, we're selling sizzle. We're not selling steaks. And that's where my anger came from. I'm not angry at people. I'm not a Jillian Michaels type. <laughs> I, I, won't, I, I won't get on the, uh, you know, in front of people and yell at them and, and tell overweight people you're fat. You know, they, they already know that. They don't need to hear someone yelling at them, telling them they're fat. Uh-huh. You know, they, they figured that one out, but quite frankly, on their own. Um, because as I can tell, just because you might be overweight doesn't mean you're dumb. You know, I've worked with a lot of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. These people are fat, too. You know, so my anger is not at people who are overweight or who are out of shape. I'm angry at the industry that keeps selling them lies. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that was a long answer to a very short question. No, no, I mean, that, that's a perfect answer. I, I love answers like this because it gives me more questions to ask. I mean, I think that you bring up something really interesting, right, is that this sort of ethical conflict um, that you're faced with. And, and, you know, I think in many cases that ethical conflict could really lead to the difference between putting food on the table uh, or being, you know, the starving artist. And, and I'm curious, you know, when people are, are torn like that, I mean, what advice do you have for them? As, as far as, you know, being, you mean from the trainer end of it, you know, because I, I mean, in I, general, like whether you're a trainer or whether you're a creative, I mean, there's, there's definitely opportunities, I think, to sell out. Like, for example, I mean, I could have a publisher come and say, you know, I self-published a book. I could have a publisher come and say, hey, we'll pay you X amount of dollars. But they, they you know, as part of it, they say, hey, we're also going to change the book dramatically. Well, you know, we'll we'll get to my book in, in a minute, and that really happened to me. And because I didn't take their deal, I ended up winning in a big way, financially and mm-hmm. and uh, spiritually. 
Um, God, I didn't know those two could even be used in the same sentence, but there you have it. Um, in my career, I've been lucky because, you know, I, I work with, you know, Hollywood types. I work with actors and actresses who have to look a certain way for a movie. And the only reason I get hired is because I don't lie. You know, when, when someone needs to beef up for a movie or get really thin for a movie or a TV show or what have you, these people have millions of dollars on the line. They don't care how the sausage is packed. They just need it packed. You know, and I get called in and they go, hey, I'm all yours. You're supposed to be the guy. I'm all yours. So I never had to worry about putting food on my table because, as I've always said, if you do good work, you don't have to lie to people. And because there was an, an entire industry that was waiting for me to come in and help them, I didn't have to worry about, you know, yeah, you know, selling some protein powder to some housewife in the valley in order to put food on my table. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not that there's anything wrong with being a housewife in the valley, but, you know, we all know they like to take a lot of protein powder, or at least in my <laughs> mind. Um, but, yeah, when you talk about something like the book, you know, uh, once I, I penned Fitness Confidential, you know, we went out, my agent took it to the top 22 publishers. And I had never seen notes like this come back from a publisher before, but every one of them had some sort of visceral reaction to what I'd written. Um, most of them said that if I put it out, they would sue me because they had the Jillian Michaelses of the world uh, who they were trying to sell, and I was telling people, these people are full of crap. Uh, yet no one has sued me to date. Maybe when I check my mail later today, I might be sued. I don't know. Um, but a couple of the companies, some of the bigger companies, came back and said, hey, you have two books here, and we will give you a two-book deal. We want you to first give us a sizzle book, and then if you want to come back with the steak, we'll let you do that. Mm-hmm. But just give us, you know, we want you to, we want to get a razzmatazz book. We want you to, we want 10 pounds in 10 days. We want great abs in five days. We want how you get your butt like a bowling ball in five minutes and all these different, you know, all the stuff they wanted me to do what I would consider an extended uh, magazine article. And I wasn't about to do that, you know? So Dean, uh, Dean Laurie, who's a Hollywood uh, producer, director right now, his uh, show on television is uh, the crazy ones. Uh, He brought Robin Williams back to television. We wrote fitness confidential together. And we both looked at each other and said, you know what? We don't really need their money. You know, we don't need the Simon and Schuster's of the world to, to cut us a check. We're going to just take some of our own money. We're going to make a really good self-published book. And when I say really, really good, I mean a great book. And what we did was we went right to their editors and hired these people to work at night to, to properly edit my book. We went to these companies that are able to format your book for every electronic that's on earth, the same way the big companies do. Mm-hmm. So you could get my book on Nook and Kindle and uh, you, know, you name it, whatever electronic is out there. I also went to Audible and cut a deal with Audible and sat there and read my own book, which they always say the author should not read their book, but I already had a presence on you know, uh, podcasting. I, I had 300,000 people listening to me at that point per month. So people wanted to hear my voice on it. And when you pull all of that together, you can create a real product that people are going to want. And because we did that, we, you know, we went past what we would have made in the first, I think in the second month, we went past what they were looking to write us a check for, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's not even about the money. It's about putting a book out there that tells the truth. And that's what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think this is obviously lots of lessons here in self-publishing, so many of which are at all of our fingertips today. But, you know, there's something you said earlier that I, I want to dig uh, deeper into and, and spend a bit more time talking about. And it's this idea of winning both financially and spiritually, because 
truth be told, I think that people who don't win in both those ways are really unhappy. Like you have to win. Uh, you know, I, I think if you're not winning spiritually and you're successful financially, you're living a very incongruent life. And I, I really love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, because I can't imagine that you don't run across people who are, are torn between those two things, especially given the kinds of people that you work with. I mean, I, I mean, when, when, when I watch what comes out of Hollywood, I see a lot of spiritually bankrupt people. I mean, what I see on TMZ is clearly something is wrong with these people. Yeah, um, you know, there, there are a lot of sick people here, and I, I feel sorry for them a lot of times, um, you know, because I see people who, you know, who are running to in Starbucks, and and next thing you know, um, well, this little girl, I can't remember her name now, it's, it's not coming to me, but she had all the funky different kind of wigs on, and she, she lit her apartment on fire about a month or two ago. I, she was a child star and you know you watch these people just crumble and TMZ is there just to to capitalize on it and and I think it's wrong you know it bothers me on so many levels um when Britney Spears was going through it it was another time it really bothered me you know you know they they cared more that this poor woman went and chopped all of her hair off I mean can anyone not tell that that's the hugest cry for help in the history of cries for help mm-hmm. you know but you know, I you know, when you talk about you know the spirituality and making money, I call it the stripper trap. You might want to use that for any financial class you might ever want to teach. And you say, well, this guy Vinny taught me about the stripper trap, and I always use that. I, I I talk to my nephews about the stripper trap, and what it is, you know, I I created that term. You know, a stripper goes to a club. And I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and says they want to be a stripper. They just somehow, through you know things going wrong, they end up taking their clothes off for hire. And um, you know, before you know it, if you're really good and you're good looking enough and you take your clothes off enough in the right way, you can make a lot of money. You, we always hear these strippers are making six hundred, a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars a night, right? Once you get into that lifestyle of making that kind of money, how do you tell this girl, listen, you're doing a bad thing. You're doing the wrong thing. You need to stop doing this and you need to go become a secretary and sit at a desk and make $9 an hour. It's very hard to get out of that life. You know, so, it's, you know, once you start making easy money for any reason whatsoever, it's hard to turn around and start doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. So actually, that that actually makes a perfect setup for something else I want to ask you about. You know, you said you once you get you know used to easy money, and you, you realize it's a life that you can't escape because it, it's easy or you're comfortable. And I think there are people who are also earning money, you know, uh, a hard way, and they're miserable. I mean, you know, we're seeing sort of this collective sort of shift in consciousness as a society in which people are wanting to escape, you know, the life. They're kind of caught between two lives, as my friend Christina Rasmussen likes to say. You know, one is the life they have, and one is the life they could that could be. And I'm curious. I mean, my guess is that a lot of this has to do with learning how to change our behavior. And my guess is that a lot of the work that you do around fitness has less to do with our physical capabilities and our ability to change our behavior. And I'd love to hear, uh, especially, I mean, because I'm guessing, like you said, you get called in to do something like a movie for a movie star who needs to make rapid changes. I mean, let's talk about behavioral change and making rapid changes in our lives, not just in terms of fitness, but the lessons that you've brought from that world to doing this. You know, I actually uh, chronicle one of those stories in the book uh, where this uh, young ingenue, uh, the, the book opens up. It's kind of like the book opens up like a Bond movie where I'm, I'm sitting in an office. This is a true story um, in Hollywood. And there are managers and agents and there's some people from Disney. And, you know, this is like the early 90s. And... Um, I'm sitting there in a pair of shorts and T-shirts, and you know all these guys are wearing Brioni suits, and they, they, they're all looking at me to save the day. And one of them says, "So we hear you're the the quick weight loss expert." And I'm kind of looking at my fingernails, going, "Well, I guess you could say that, you know, that kind of deal." And you know, I got real cocky, and I got that woman to lose a lot of weight. What I didn't do was teach her how to do it. You know, I, I, I didn't teach her how to fish. I just handed her a fish. Mm-hmm. And when the series died and she went away and she had to go back on the road and become a comedian again, 
she gained all the weight back. And I realized at that point that I wasn't so badass. I, I failed. I largely failed. And the end of the book finishes on that story. The whole book is stories of, you know, how things happened. You know, and it it really, but you know, she was the beginning of me thinking, I can't just tell these people what to do. I have to create a lifestyle that they can follow. Mm-hmm. Even though they may never call me again, they can do it on their own if they want to after I teach them the lifestyle uh, of getting there. And that was the beginning of that. That was back in, in I think, 92, 91, 92. It was, it was very early, early on. And, um, it, you know, for me, you know, most people, as I said, they don't want to know how the sausage is packed, but I teach them anyway. I, I make them learn that because it's important. You can't just lose weight for a time period because as soon as you stop doing whatever you're doing, any type of fat dieting, any type of fat exercise is going to come right back. And that's where uh, I failed, you know, in the past. And that's something I have to correct for myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it sounds to me, you know, like what, what has to happen in addition to sort of the physical changes is, is an identity shift. I mean, this is something that I'm finding uh, even in our entrepreneurial endeavors and, and any creative work. When I see somebody's identity shift, I mean, I had a friend here, Dave Rosillo, and we talked you know, all about him getting unstuck and turning his business around. And it's really interesting to contrast the person he was two years ago when I had him here on the show struggling uh, with a business on the brink of failure to the person that you know he was a few weeks ago on my show. And what I saw was a very different identity that, you know, like, you know, we, we, you know, my business partner, I've talked extensively about circumstances becoming identity. I mean, are, are there things, you know, I mean, when you're teaching people this lifestyle concept, I mean, how do we make that identity shift? Like, what are the day-to-day things in our lives uh, in every area that we want to change that we, we have to do uh, to, to make these kinds of identity shifts so that, you know, that what, you know, it's not just an external change. The change happens internally, too. You know, to answer that, I want to I want to shift a little bit. You okay. know, I know you want me to answer it, you know, <laughs> or maybe you were just going in that direction because you thought maybe. But I, I had to make some some changes in my life. Um, I, I had a lot of things go wrong all at once. Um, you know, in, in everyone's life, no matter how good it is, things change. Um, just a, a quick overlay back in, in, in 07, uh, I, I was riding my bike one day and then I got a phone call that told me to get off my bike immediately and go to the doctor's office. And I found out that I only had a few months to live. Um, so there was no more bike riding for me or work or anything else. I had a really bad case of leukemia that had to be taken care of. So I went right into chemotherapy. You know, my life changed overnight, and it took me six months. I was out of work. For, I wasn't training anyone for six months, but I didn't care. I had enough money saved up that, you know, I, I can go and take care of myself and see if I was going to live or die. So once that was over with, as soon as I started working again, the writer strike happened here in L.A., I don't know if you remember that. I was yeah. from OA. Right I, was, I remember it distinctly because season eight of 24 was delayed, which really pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't a fan of that show, but you know what pissed me off was that the production on all the shows of all the producers, directors, and writers that hire me on a daily basis. <laughs> you know, when you saw, they would say on the news, there's a lot of collateral damage. Uh-huh. You're looking at collateral damage right here. You know, my business largely went away. So not only did I miss six months dealing with cancer, now all of my clients are gone. And before I can gain any clients back, we had 2008 come right down the pipe and uh, knock me for a loop again. And so I had no business. You know, I was barely hanging on to a couple of clients there were trainers out there, really good trainers. I'm not talking about the mommy trainers that go to the gym, you know, just to make enough money to go buy some Jimmy Choo's. I'm talking about guys and women who earn their living doing what we do. You know, this is not chump change money. This is how we pay our bills. This is how we pay our mortgages. This is how we put kids in school. You know, this is what we do. Um, and there were guys who became security guards and tried to get busy. I saw one guy working at Starbucks. 
This guy used to be one of the top trainers in town. He was in Starbucks. I was barely hanging on um, because of people like uh, my good friend Howie Mandel, um, who who was able to keep me. I had people like that who were able to keep me, and I was just barely able to make enough money just to somehow squeak by by using savings and what was coming in. So things were really bad. And, you know, I could have wallowed in that for a long time. I did wallow in it for a while. I'm not superhuman. I mean, when you get knocked around, when you get cancer, and then you get the writer's strike, and then you get the economy, you do go, okay, what the F? Where was I standing when, you know, when the world changed? You know, what happened? The only thing I knew was I had to do something different. It had to be something different, but it had to be in the only business I knew. And that's when I, I, I sat down and started writing a book, by the way, with another guy who lost his gig because he was a TV writer. Mm-hmm. You know, we got together, we sat in a room and we started writing. We had time on our hands. We could have sat there and wallowed in it. We could have gone and had a chai latte every day and complained about the economy, but we didn't. We sat down and wrote a book. And then after we wrote the book, we decided that one of us, meaning me, would have to go on the Internet and figure out how to get popular on the Internet. (laughs) Now, I'm a guy, as you know from last week, who can barely turn on a computer. I really can't. I really still don't know how to use a computer. I'm not proud of that. That's just a fact. And somehow the guy who can't turn on a computer has one of the biggest hit podcasts on iTunes. And, you know, I have a, you know, a newsletter that goes out to tens of thousands of people. I have hundreds of thousands that listen to me from around the world. And I have a book that sells like hotcakes. You know, this is all from a guy who can't turn on a computer. So I don't want to hear from other people that you can't do things. You know, we can all do things to change our lives. Mm-hmm. I might have given you a whole different answer than you no, want. No, no, that was beautiful. There, there's actually, I, I love that. I'm really glad you told that story because, um, I mean, to me, that, that, to me that, that speaks to a very, like, a molding moment in your life. Uh, you know, I've asked other people a question similar to this. You know, I mean, you had a painful experience. And what I, if, you know, I, I always said, like, if I can find the common thread between the people who come to this show— somehow that painful experience becomes the most transformational experience of their lives. And then I wonder about the people who are just comfortable humming along, like nothing has thrown them off kilter. Life has just gone according to plan. And they're so unprepared for that. And I I kind of wonder how, you know, when when you're in that situation, you're almost just sleepwalking through life or living groundhog day, how you get out of that because, you know, you don't have leukemia. And then of course, you know, I mean, you've shown an insane amount of resilience in the face of extreme adversity. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder how you how you build that kind of tolerance for grief and pain in your life. Yeah, yeah I wish I had an answer for that, because there's so you, you're right. There's so many people just sleepwalking through life and just really not feeling life, you know, um, and I think, you know, we now today, you know, I have nephews who are you know, 28, 30 years old. They have college degrees and they, they claim they can't get good jobs. And as a matter of fact, one of those nephews, when I told him I was starting a, a podcast, actually, I told him I was starting a blog first. So, you know, I, I put together a website first. And then from that, I was going to do a podcast. And he yelled at me. He goes, why would you do that? You know, you barely know how to turn on a computer. Why would you do that? No one gets traction on the Internet. The people who got traction were people who got lucky or people who put millions of dollars into it. He had every excuse in the world as to why I would fail. That same nephew is getting ready to put up his own podcast (laughs) in the next couple of weeks. He's been working on it. And, you know, they need to see someone else do it. That's part of the problem with life. People don't think that they can do things. Mm-hmm. We live in a pretty great time where everybody I know have a device in their hand. They have a, a, a smartphone that probably has more power than the first computer that put man on the moon, right in the palm of their hands. And they're sitting around and all they're doing on it is playing Candy Crush or some other thing I've heard my stepdaughter say. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, the bottom line is that same device can actually help you make a ton of money, you know, if that's, if that's what your goal is. 
You know, instead of using it as a crutch, you can use it as a device to make money. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So a lot of interesting stuff here. I mean, there's no question. I mean, I, I happen to agree with you. I think that the power that is in the palm of our hands these days is, is unlike anything we've seen in history. And I've, I've always said that the gap between creativity and technology is narrower than it's ever been. Uh, you know, I mean, here, you know, I, I have some questions around sort of this idea of the Internet. You know, I mean, you come from a world in which, let me ask you, I mean, very candidly, did having some level of celebrity status, did that help accelerate 
your progress on the internet. I mean, knowing, you know, people knowing that, Hey, you're the guy who trains, you know, famous people in Hollywood. Uh, whereas, you know, there are people like me who five years ago, like, you know, blip on the radar. I don't think anybody knew who I was. No, as a matter of fact, um, it, it didn't help me at all because, um, I, I just name dropped the only celebrity you will ever hear me name drop, uh, Howie. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's because Howie and I are friends. You know, I'm not friends with all of my clients. Mm -hmm. uh, it just so happens that Howie and I are good friends. You know, you don't become friends with all of, the, all of these people. Most of it is just a work relationship. And I'm friends with several of them. But, you know, people see Howie and I out together. They take pictures of us together. Those pictures end up on, on the Internet or what, what have you. Uh, people see us eating in restaurants. So, you know, our relationship if you will, is out it, even though we're not gay. Not that we're both <laughs> gay. Um, so, you know, people know that we're friends. You know, so I'll mention his name. But other than that, I've made it a practice not to mention anyone I work out with. As a matter of fact, I was on Access Hollywood uh, about eight months ago, six or eight months ago. And they begged me to start mentioning names, you know, backstage. You know, they, I said, no, it's not going to happen. I'll just leave right now and not do this interview mm -hmm. if you guys want me to mention names. And the, the girl, Kit, uh, who's one of the co-hosts, she and Billy Bush, she asked me backstage, she goes, so tell me who uh, some of your clients are. And I said, Kit, is this off the record? And she goes, yeah, yeah, it's off the record. So I mentioned a couple of my clients. Well, about three weeks later, one of my clients walked in and Kit was doing an interview with her. And she said on stage, so I hear you work out with Vinny. And the woman was like, what? How, how do you know that? So even though it was in confidence, she brought it up in an interview. So you, you can't trust anybody with that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's why I keep it so quiet. I don't think the fact that I worked with celebrities had anything to do with it because it wasn't like I was bringing celebrities on the podcast at first. Mm -hmm. um, since then, we've had a few people come on. Um, Howie's been on, of course. Um, um, uh, Mini Driver has been on the show. You know, uh, you know, we uh, Andrea Anders, we, we've had several celebrity types come on the show. Now that the show is a hit. Um, but at the beginning, we had, you know, we, we weren't we're running off of any celebrity, anything. I was just a, a, a 50 year old guy with nary a clue as to what a podcast even was. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I literally thought I was speaking into thin air and no one was listening. <laughs> Well, let's do this. Let's let's shift gears a little bit. I, I want to change the direction of our conversation because I think this this makes a perfect time to do that. Uh, I, I want to talk about the business side of some of this. I mean, you started in this industry at a time, like you said, when everybody and their mother wasn't, uh, you know, selling things. And now you go on the internet, and honestly, I mean, I I have a lot of skepticism about the fitness industry because of, like you said, I mean, all the quick fixes that I see. Like, you know, the internet is so inundated with questionable information about health and fitness. Yeah. And so there, there's two things that I'm very curious about. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, you very like specifically figured out, okay, this is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be about at a time when, when things were really different. Uh, so, you know, one, I mean, how did you become sort of the go-to guy for, for, you know, for Hollywood and I mean, how is how has this sort of proliferation and, and sort of you know abundance of people doing similar things? Uh, I mean, w how has that changed over time? Like in your industry, I mean, what what are the implications of all of this for all of us listening, regardless of what we're doing? Are we talking specifically of how I became the trainer I became and how that happened? Because you know th that's a real entrepreneurship to become a trainer and to get a clientele. So. I'll tell that part, and I'll tell maybe the second part, too. Um, you know, I, I did this business in New Orleans before I got here for, you know, several years. Uh -huh. And I got here in 1991, and by 1992 or 93, I was here for a year or two, and I was already getting celebrity clients. Here's the strange part. Other trainers would call me and take me. I always knew when someone wanted to take me to Jerry's Deli or to um, – Starbucks wasn't even around back then, or to a coffee shop. Uh, there was a place called, uh, they would always invite me to this place. There was King's Road Cafe. They had great coffee there. And they, they would, you know, whenever these young trainers would take me there, I knew exactly what they wanted 
to find out. They wanted to figure out how to get celebrities. They thought I had some kind of inside track to celebrities. And I really didn't. And I, I would sit there and they would say, okay, uh, I want to be like you and I want to get celebrities. And I would say, okay, do good work. And they would go, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, all right, so what's the secret? And I would go, uh, um, do good work. Yeah, yeah, no, I do good work. Just tell me how to get uh, you know, celebrity clients so that people can know that I'm really cool and I can get more clients. And I would say, okay, you might have missed it the first two times, but you have to do good work and you really need to listen to what I'm saying. The way you're going to get celebrities is by doing good work with the clients you have now. That means if they're a size 12, make them a size 4. That's the biggest, that's a bigger billboard than you can hang on Sunset. Mm -hmm. Take a size 12, make her a size 4, you will get jobs. Or at least you will get that woman's friends, and that woman's friend might be the producer of Friends, the TV show. And if that woman starts losing weight, then maybe Jennifer Aniston is going to see that woman losing weight, and Jennifer Aniston's people are going to call you. That's the way I did it. You know, for me, it started off um, kind of innocently. Um, I started working with Playmates at Playboy Corporation. <laughs> Sounds like a dream and, job. Yeah, well, you would think so, but these girls, they're like trying to herd lizards. Um, <laughs> it, you know, what happens is, most people don't know this, but Playboy, um, once you do a, a, a spread, so if, you, if you're the Playmate of the Month, you not only make the money right then and there, but Playboy has you under contract as an agency for, I think I don't know if it's 18 months or two years. And since most of these girls are from the Midwest, what happens is they get to town, Playboy pays them a lot of money, all of a sudden they're eating and they're gaining weight. And it doesn't look good to have a fat Playmate out there. So Playboy had a problem on their hands. And I was working with a woman at Playboy, uh, an exec, who I took from 320 pounds down to 178 pounds. And like I said, she became a big billboard. From there, um, you know, some people around Playboy said, hey, maybe this guy should work with the Playmates. You know, Playmates are considered D-list celebrities. So now I'm working with Playmates. Well, who do you think date the Playmates? Well, real actors. That's who gets to date the Playmates. Well... I'm with Playmates. Now, all of a sudden, I'm one step away from working with real actors. You know, I didn't plan that. Mm -hmm. That's how it happened. Those were my steps. You know, here's here's what I, I love that last part uh, about this idea that, hey, I didn't plan that. That's just how it happened. Uh, and you know, I, I got to tell you that to me is, is strangely that's a, that's not an uncommon story here on this show. And, and somebody had asked me once, you know, could you could we if we mapped out the career trajectories of every single person on the unmistakable creative, would we be able to find commonalities? And I'm like, yeah, but every single one of them would look really different. Like each, ma- you know, if we map them out, like what they've did, their molding moments, the tipping points, like the things that change them, would be so different than than you know all the other ones. Uh, you know, that, that's true. But, you know, if, you know, I can see where everyone would say, yeah, you can't map it out. I, I couldn't map out what I did if my life depended on it. Mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't. But I'll bet if you look at it really closely, every person has the common germ of I was working my ass off doing one thing and that caused something else to happen. Yeah. W- would you agree with that? You're you're speaking my language. I mean, my that's the story of my thousand word habit, right? I mean, I basically every single day, no questions asked, showed up at a keyboard and wrote a thousand words, which became the art of being unmistakable. Yeah, and, and you know, I could take it one step further. You know, people ask me. You know, I was just at the mu- uh, the New Media Expo in Vegas, and you know, people kept asking me. It's like, well, you've only been podcasting for eighteen months. How did you get so big so fast? How are you selling so many books? How, how, how? It's like, well, I work at it every day. You know, most people do what? How many podcasts do you put up a week, uh, Srini? Well, three, and I've done 400 interviews. Okay. And I've run this for five years. So you you put up three interviews a week. Yeah. Right? You and me, we do the same thing. I put up three podcasts every week. Mm Mm-hmm. 
most people, as you know, put out one or maybe two, one, one a week or maybe two every month or, you know, whatever. So, you know, I put up one every other day. Mm-hmm. And in between that, I send out a newsletter. In between that, I'm on Twitter. In between that, I'm on Facebook. There's a Facebook group with my name on it that has almost 3,000 members, and I don't even own it. You know, that's what happens when you do good work. You know, you just do good, hard work, and things happen. Uh Here I am 18 months later. I have, what, 238, almost 240 podcasts up in 18 months. You know, people want to know how you make things happen. You do it, and you do it a lot. So let's do this. Let's let's dig deeper into this because now you're talking about territory that is is personally very uh, near near and dear to my heart. Um, not not the tactics and not the mechanics, but the art of it, like the craftsmanship behind it, and getting really good at what you do. I mean, you've t- been talking about this idea of good work. Let let's dig deeper into into that whole concept because I think that that's that's actually you know it's I think it's easier said than done. Uh, I mean, of course, I mean, you know, you know, as a trainer, you probably know you get people who want the quick fix. But I want to talk about, you know, what it is, because to me, you're not just a trainer, you're an artist, uh, because, you know, you produce a podcast that to me automatically, you know, translates you into an artist. And I want to talk about mastering your craft as an artist and, and doing good work. Like what, how do we get better? How do we keep getting better? In, in addition to just doing the work, what is it that distinguishes, you know, those who are amazing from one, the ones who are not? Yeah, I think people have to have an engine, a big, giant engine, um, and they have to want to do things. Uh, I'll give you a, a great example of that. Uh, I, I do everything with uh, stories and examples. Maybe you hate that. I'm sorry. No, it works perfectly for me. <laughs> if not, I will take my dog for a walk across the country, and we could do that podcast because I'm not going <laughs> for you. Uh, Stella would love it, too, because she loves to spend time with me. Um, you know, my writing partner, Dean Laurie, um, I think, uh, I mean, the guy is known for arrested development, uh, major pain. Um, uh, he's written um, several series of books that have been all hits. Some of them have been bought up by the likes of Sony Pictures. You name it. Dean's a big wig. And Dean always, he always gets a big kick out of this. He'll be at din- dinner with, you know, friends of his wife or some someone from school or whatever, And they know that he's a big deal in Hollywood. They know he's a big book writer. And these people inevitably say, hey, Dean, listen, I have a great idea for a show. I'll give you the idea. And then you go do the show, write the show, do everything, and then you can give me half of it. Well, really now, you want to only give this guy an idea, do nothing else, have this guy go and write the show send the show around, you know, push the show, sell the show, and then create the show. And for that, you'll give him 50% of your idea. Well, that's very nice of you. You know, thank you very much. Dean can think of his own ideas. Mm -hmm. Now, when Dean came to me, because we were both, you know, floundering around trying to figure out what to do, and he said, I have an idea for a book. And I was like, Dean, I don't want to write the, you know, how to get ripped abs in 10 minutes book. He goes, no, it's a different idea. And uh, he says, I want you to go off this weekend and read um, Kitchen Confidential, which is Anthony Bourdain's book. He goes, you guys remind me of each other. You know, so I read the book. Um, we, we, had, we were having that drink on Friday night. I read the book on Saturday. I called him on Sunday and said, I read the book. I know exactly what I have to do. He says, OK. And this is, this is the crux of the story, Srini. He said, okay, I want you to start writing notes. And I said, how many notes? He said, just start writing, write them into to, to, uh, Word, and every time you have a big chunk of notes, send them to me. About four months later, now think about this. From the time I read Anthony Bourdain's book, he told me to start writing notes. I kept writing notes. I kept sending him notes. Four months later, he called me one day. He says, you know, last night I was bored and I started organizing all of your notes. You've literally written over 40,000 words and notes. Most books are not that long anymore. 
40,000 words of notes. I said, so what do you want to do? He says, why don't you come over? We'll start you know, putting these notes together and fleshing them out and see if we have a book. The key to the story I'm telling you is most people would say, hey, Vinny, go write some notes. And they would go, eh, maybe I'll get to it next week or next month or next year. You know, I even, I even write that in the book. Everybody I know says at sometimes, and you know the same people, they will say at some point in their life, I think I'll write a book. Yet they never get to it. And the only thing you need to write a book is pencil and paper. You don't need anything else. Or they'll say, ah, one day I'll run a marathon. Yet most people never run a marathon. Every, you know, everybody's going to get to it one day. The difference is people that have a big motor, a big engine, something that they want to have push them. They, you know, when Dean said, sit down and start writing notes, Vinny sat down. I just spoke about myself in the third person. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but that guy sat down and started writing notes. And I didn't stop writing notes until I had almost a complete book in notes. And by the way, we used every one of those notes in the 70 plus thousand word book that we wrote. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. It's just showing up, right? I mean, showing up and doing the work. Sure. I mean, you know, everybody wants, you know, everybody wants to be a Kardashian. But as I always explain to people, the Kardashians work hard at being Kardashians. <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, conversation that we have actually had on the on the air. They're really entrepreneurial people. Oh, listen, I'll tell you, because, you know, I live about five feet from where they started out over in, in Hidden Hills. Mm -hmm. And Bruce Jenner was broke. He and his wife were broke. They were they were going to lose their house in Hidden Hills. I work in Hidden Hills. That's where all the celebrities are. And that was the word on the street. They were out of money. And then their daughter or his stepdaughter and her daughter, you know, had a, a sex video with a rapper taking it up the bum. And, you know, oh, my God, what else could be worse? You know, this is this is Kardashian's kid, you know, the, the lawyer from you know, the OJ trial, and she's, she's got a sex video. Oh, my God, this is horrible. These people took lemons and definitely made lemonade, and they have not stopped yet. Yeah. You know, so don't come around and say, oh, the Kardashians just got lucky. No, they took a bad situation. They turned it around. And by the way, those girls opened dress shops. And, and by the way, I'm not friends of theirs. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what they do is vulgar, to be honest with you. But I have to applaud them for doing it. You know, yeah. I have to applaud them. They have no talent whatsoever, <laughs> ever, other than hard work. I mean, think about it. Back in the day of Mar Marilyn Monroe, you had to be able to sing, dance, and act. Right. Or at least do all three badly. Uh -huh. Today, all you have to do is be a Kardashian. You, all you have to do is nothing. Yet they do nothing better than anyone else, and they can succeed at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff there. So, you know, I, I want to ask you actually about sort of the collaborative process between you and your co-writer. I mean, collaboration is always an interesting thing uh, for creatives because I think that who you collaborate with really, it's, it's never, it's never as simple. I think that the, the curse of many creatives is they tend to be drawn to people just like them. And so they don't have somebody who compensates for their weaknesses. Uh, and I'd, I'd love for you to expand on, on the creative process behind one, you know, how it worked with you guys and what your advice is for other people who are looking for creative collaborators. Wow. Um, unfortunately, you just answered it in your question. <laughs> um, people were wondering how Dean and I were able to write in my voice. The reason we're able to write in my voice is we're kind of the same guy. You know, we're both Italians from the South. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean the Southland. I mean the South. And we, we can start and finish each other's, you know, sentences. And um, that's kind of an odd thing. I think that's why we like each other. We see ourselves in the other person. Um, so it wasn't a big stretch for us. But the division of labor was, oh God, we, you know, we, we kind of, we sat in that room, literally, we, for three hours a day, sometimes six days a week, and sometimes we'd go four hours. And um, we would just sit there and, and, you know, he would take a note and he would say, look, you wrote this note down. What did you mean by this? 
and we would just sit there and flesh it out. And, um, you know, all the Vinnyisms came out of that. You know, people love the Vinnyisms in the book. You know, I have all these kind of Yogi Berra type things I use with my clients, and they're all in the book. Uh-huh. Um, but that's, we just ended up, you know, we had no idea. We can't wait to write another book together. Um, Dean is uh, almost done with this year's version of The Crazy Ones, and he's got another show he's doing, I think, for HBO, but we're waiting for him to have a break so we can start writing again Mm -hmm. because we just love hanging out with each other, you know? So I know that's kind of an answer that you didn't want to hear. The one thing is on day one, I I walked in with a Louisville slugger. I walked in with a baseball bat. And um, every day while we were writing, I had that bat between my, my knees while I was writing. And every day, Dean would ask me what, you know, and when I, leave, I would leave his office, I would put the bat in the corner. And then I would pick up the bat the next time I would come in, put it between my knees, and we would start working. And sometimes I would get angry doing the writing, and I would start banging the bat on his wooden floors that I'm sure he paid a ton of money for. And... Um, <laughs> He, he never once asked me about the bat. Only one time when I was tapping the bat on his computer screen, he goes, uh, uh, stop hitting my computer screen with that bat. And on the last day of writing, when we literally wrote the words, the end, when we put the paintbrush down, he, um, he turned to me when I was putting the bat in the corner of his office, and he said, uh, he says, uh, I, I got a question. Uh, why did you have that bat? What, what was that? And I said, oh, you can have it now. I'm going to just leave it here. Just you, you can have, you know, your kids want to use it, go play with it. It's a brand new bat. You can do whatever you want. And uh, he says, but why did, you, why did you have it? And before I answered the question, I said to him, why are you asking me now? And he said, because I was very worried that you might hit me with it the way De Niro did in, you know, <laughs> one of those movies. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and I said, the reason I had the bat, Dean, is because I needed to remind myself to keep my eye on the ball. <laughs> yeah. So the bat was a symbol that I used for six or eight months or whatever it took us to write the book. It was to keep my eye on the ball. Interesting. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it, you're right. It wasn't the answer I was expecting. And, uh, you know, usually I find... Collaboration is is complicated, right? I, I don't. That the reason I didn't, you know, I think it's there's no dead set answer. I mean, maybe you can find somebody who's similar to you uh, and make it work. Clearly, you did. I think that there is something to be said for you know, like you have to be able to get along if you're going to collaborate. And and I think I mean the thing I see is is two people who had a common vision. Like the vision is the same and how that how it happens i mean what and what people contribute i think could be very different like i mean my business partner and i bring two very different things to the table i don't think that he would be giving the kind of interviews that i do behind the mic yeah no yeah you know, and, and dean wouldn't either you know like if you know i i doubt that dean could do a podcast <laughs> then again he might do a better podcast than me mm-hmm. he's been on my show several times and people love when he comes on uh, he's he's uh you know we get bigger numbers when dean is on than when he's not. Right. Um, but I don't know if Dean would be able to interview people, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I know for, for certain that I could not go over to CBS right now and run a show, you know, but at some point there are commonalities and, and those are the things that you have to bring out with the people. You know, mm-hmm. you have to find them. Yeah. No doubt. Well, uh, Vinny, we're getting close to uh, about the end of our hour here. Uh, I want to ask you a question that I've asked a lot of people, uh, but I mean, I think that your perspective on it should be interesting. I mean, you've seen sort of every level of celebrity. You mentioned working with D-list celebrities, and I'm guessing you've worked all the way with sort of A-list celebrities. I mean, in a lot of ways, when when you look at creative careers, I mean, what celebrities do is is kind of the pinnacle of a creative career. Like that's that's the ultimate level of success. And you know, I mean, when I look at the internet. Um, I think that the internet is democratizing our ability to create like never before, but it's also like a developing country uh, where there are sort of, you you have your A-list superstars and you have the D-list. And I guess really, you know, I'm very curious, you know, what you've learned from looking at the people that you've worked with, the people that you've trained uh, in terms of what causes success at that level and what allows them to sustain it so that they have a legacy 
not just sort of one hit wonders? Well, um, you know, it's funny. I think I really think that a lot of one hit wonders um, could have been, you know, could have gone on to do really well for whatever reason. They were, in my opinion, afraid of the success and didn't know how to keep it going. Um, you know, you can say that with music a lot. I, I work with a, a lot of musicians uh, who have done really well. Um, um, but and in other cases, you'll see people. You know, I was I was talking about this girl the other day on my show, Edie Brickell, who had one hit with the New Bohemians, and then she just went and married Paul Simon, and you never heard from Edie Brickell again. You know, maybe she was just afraid of success. Who knows? Um, and then other people who you think are not really that talented go on to do great things. I mean, we could take Howie Mandel as an example. That guy was on a TV series back in the 70s. You know, he could have gone away after that, but he went back on the road. He kept doing comedy. And then he did this show and he did that show. And then he kind of went away again. And uh, came back with the, the show with the suitcases, uh, Deal or No Deal. And his career was sparked again. And now he's on uh, uh, whatever that show is where you get to, you know, talk to people about talent. What's that show called? Uh, got talent? Is that I it? think so, yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. watch a lot of reality TV. <laughs> I, I don't either. I mean, he's my buddy and I couldn't tell you what show he's on. But, you know, he, he just finds ways to reinvent who Howie Mandel is. And, you know, that's just, you know, that's that's where the success is. Mm -hmm. He still goes on the road. He still does comedy. He I mean, think about it. The guy is he's rich. He's very wealthy. He doesn't have to go work a casino. But guess what? He gets on a plane and he goes work a casino because that's what he does. I think he would go crazy otherwise. Mm -hmm. I, that's just my opinion. I think, well, he is kind of crazy. But. I think he would literally go nuts if he, if he didn't have that creative outlet to walk on stage and get a little nervous night after night, you know? Uh. And I can say that about most celebrities I work with. Uh, some of them don't need the money anymore, yet they can't stop doing it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think that to me... Um... That that to me that, that that effectively is what happens when the journey itself becomes the reward. Like it's no longer about uh, you know the external accolades, but getting to do the work that you love to do is is that rewarding. Yeah, you know that's true because I could literally, uh, I could see in the next you know few months. I mean, this internet thing is working out really well for me. You know, selling books, uh, doing a podcast that's uh, monetized itself. Um, you know, and, and this whole thing, I could see where if I wanted to do this full time, I can do this and never train another person ever. Yet, I'm going to be up at 4.15 eating breakfast because it's not only what I know, it's what I love to do. I, I love to be in front of people. You know, I love to be in front of people, helping them, making them feel good, doing what I do. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just what I'm going to do. Awesome. Well, I, I think that makes a, a perfect way to sum up our conversation. Uh, Vinny, like I said, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're definitely a, one of our, our more unusual guests for the unmistakable creative, but that's also what intrigued me so much about your story when I heard about it. So I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for listening in on another candid conversation at the unmistakable creative Embrace your inner misfit, express your creative voice, and remember, the goal isn't to live forever, but to create something that will. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R 
dot com slash podcast. A Weber, simpler email marketing. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.